0: Texas likes to claim that it's a whole other country, but before the Republic of Texas, there was the Republic of Fredonia. That's ahead this week on Footnoting History. Hello, 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 and welcome to Footnoting History. My name is Nathan. Uh, on today's episode of the podcast, I'd like to talk to you about a topic that's been in the news a lot lately, American immigration and Mexico, but not in the way that you might think. I'm actually talking about immigration from America to Mexico. Our story begins in 1824. At that time, the area which is today East Texas was then part of the brand new Mexican state of Coahuila y Texas. I say brand new because Mexico as a country had only just come into existence three years before, in 1821, following a long 11-year war of independence with Spain. But the young country was facing a severe set of problems, namely population and illegal immigration. Most parts of North Mexico were still extremely rural and underpopulated. Estimates actually placed the population of Texas at under 3,000 in 1821. This region was also home to Native American populations, who were either native to the region or who had been displaced by American settlement in the United States and had been forced to migrate further west. This was particularly true of one group of Cherokee, who were originally from the Carolinas and Georgia, but who had moved into Spanish Texas in 1819, a decade and a half before the infamous forced displacement known as the Trail of Tears, and settled north of the town of Nacogdoches, Texas. For years, however, the Spanish government had actively discouraged immigration from the United States into the Mexican territories, which led to the second problem, illegal immigration. For years, Anglo-Americans had been coming over the border from Louisiana into East Texas and squatting on land there. In some cases, the motivation for this illegal immigration had to do with debt, If a farm failed in the United States, a farmer could cross the border into Mexico and restart their life virtually scot-free as debt collectors could not cross into an area where they had no jurisdiction, and the chances of a debtor being extradited back into the United States were slim indeed, because the Mexican army was still recovering from the War of Independence and could not field enough men to actively patrol the hundreds of miles of border between Mexico and the United States. All of this meant that much of the American immigration into Mexico was highly unorganized, frequently did not respect the pre-existing rights of Mexican landowners, and some of the people doing the immigrating were viewed by the Spanish-Mexican population as being of, well, rather less than desirable society. All this began to change in 1824. In August of that year, the Mexican Congress passed a new immigration law called the General Colonization Law, which allowed Americans, or any other nationality, to immigrate into Mexico. Moreover, the government decided to continue a policy which had been created by the Spanish government shortly before Mexico won its independence, but had never been fully implemented. This was the impresario system. An impresario would be given a particular area of land and be tasked with the responsibility of convincing families to immigrate into Mexico and settle that territory, though the impresario would not himself divide the land among the settlers. That task was to be handled by the local Mexican government. In payment for facilitating this immigration, the impresario was to be awarded a large tract of land within the colony at a rate based on the number of families settled, as well as a cash payment in administrative fees. The first impresario, Moses Austin, was awarded a colony by the Spanish government in 1821, but he died and the Mexicans won their independence before the settlement could take place. His son, Stephen Austin, for whom everything Austin in Texas is named, would take up his father's impresario contract and settle 300 families in Mexican Texas. Austin's contract was also different from other impresarios in that he was given some minor governmental powers over his colony. As for the settlers in these colonies, there was an understanding that they would have to convert to Roman Catholicism and learn to speak Spanish, requirements that were virtually impossible to enforce. Which brings us to Hayden Edwards. Edwards was originally from Virginia, though he, his wife Susanna, and their 13 children had lived in a number of states throughout the South. Like Austin and others, Edwards saw an unparalleled opportunity in the impresario system. Land prices in the U.S. were rising, and here was an opportunity to acquire massive tracts of land at comparatively little cost. On April 15, 1825, the local state government gave Edwards an impresario contract, which encompassed a large area that included the town of Nacogdoches, some 50 miles from the Louisiana border, and stretched over 100 miles south to within 30 miles of the Gulf of Mexico. He would arrive there in September and begin settling families in the latter months of 1825. According to the terms of the contract, Edwards was to be awarded an impresario bonus of 184,320 acres of land, as well as some $440,000 in 1825 money in administrative fees. That was provided that he could settle 800 families within six years. There were, however, some stipulations. First, Edwards' settlement could not violate any pre-existing land and settlements in the territory. Second, he had to muster a local militia to protect the settlement. The Mexican army was still recovering and somewhat distant. Finally, local governance, particularly of the town of Nacogdoches, with a population of only a few hundred people, would still be in the hands of the alcalde, a Mexican official similar to a mayor. The land given to Edwards to settle already had a significant Mexican population, in addition to numerous squatters given its proximity to the U.S. border. In many cases, land boundaries were vague or virtually non-existent, or were traditionally understood but not written down, and here is where the trouble began. Before Edwards could start settling families, Nacogdoches' alcalde, Luis Procella, and the town clerk, José Antonio Sepúlveda, had started writing out land deeds for pre-existing settlements, effectively blocking off portions of Edwards's impresario grant from Anglo-American settlement. Edwards tried to use his contractual rights to establish a militia by holding elections for a militia captain, but he hadn't established any kind of a local voting bloc in his favor. Uh, He had only convinced 50 families at that point to settle in his territory, and so the town clerk, José Antonio Sepulveda, was elected captain of the militia. Peeved at the thwarting of his plans, Edwards tried to hold elections for the alcalde. In this election, two candidates emerged. The first was the wonderfully named Chichester Chaplin, who was originally from Ireland and was Edwards' son-in-law. The other was Samuel Norris, who had married into a local family. The election returns were disputed by both sides, because new Anglo-Americans who were not Mexican citizens had voted when they had no right to, but Chaplin claimed victory and seized control of the town archives, effectively putting an end to the granting of land deeds to native Mexicans. Norris appealed the results of the election to the Mexican government and eventually had them overturned and himself installed as the rightful alcalde, although he had to use the local militia, commanded by Sepúlveda, to force Chaplin to turn over the town records. From this point, the situation just deteriorated further as two sides began to form, with Norris and many of the native Mexican residents of Nacogdoches and several Anglo-American residents on one side, and Hayden Edwards, his brother Benjamin, and Chichester Chaplin on the other. Throughout 1826, Chaplin and the Edwards brothers continued to challenge Norris's authority as alcalde. Hayden Edwards had long been insisting that he had the right to verify all land ownership, and he attempted to forcefully evict people that he claimed were squatters, as well as collect ownership fees from people living in the territory prior to his arrival, none of which was within his rights as an impresario. Things began to come to a head in the summer of 1826. Hayden briefly returned to the United States to gather more settler families, leaving his brother Benjamin in charge. Benjamin continued to press against Samuel Norris's authority, and both he and Norris made so many complaints to the government of mistreatment by the other side. Benjamin Edwards accused Norris's men of tampering with his mail. Norris said that the Edwards Cabal was trying to make some kind of arrangement with the Cherokee to the north in order to stage an insurrection, which it turns out was actually true. Uh, that in September, the government formally revoked Hayden Edwards' impresario contract which he learned upon returning from his successful trip to the United States, where he had convinced 700 families to immigrate into his territory. Following the loss of Edwards' impresario contract, at the end of November 1826, a vigilante posse of 36 men entered Nacogdoches and seized both Hayden and Benjamin Edwards, Samuel Norris, and José Antonio Sepúlveda. They then proceeded to hold a drumhead trial, which ended in the release of Edwards, but found Norris and Sepulveda guilty of such crimes as inciting murder, extortion, forgery, theft, and generally being, well, bad people. Instead of putting them to death, the two men were declared stripped of their authority as alcalde and captain of the militia, which has led some people to speculate that the entire thing was in fact a ruse orchestrated by Hayden Edwards to unseat Norris and Sepulveda from power. These developments were deeply unsettling to the Mexican authorities in San Antonio, who were also engaged in negotiations with the various Native American tribes in the region for permanent settlements, uh, negotiations which included the Cherokee living to the north of Nacogdoches. They were finally forced to act when, on December 16th, the Edwards brothers entered Nacogdoches with 30 or so men and proclaimed the existence of a new country, the Republic of Fredonia, with Hayden Edwards at its head. Moreover, the rumors of negotiation with the Cherokee were true, as Edwards claimed to have their support uh, made manifest in a flag he raised over Nacogdoches. This flag was made up of a white bar over a red bar, symbolizing the Anglo-American and Cherokee Union with the words independence, liberty, and justice written on it. The Fredonian Declaration of Independence cited injustices perpetrated upon the immigrants by the Mexican government. It also proclaimed the borders of Fredonia to extend well beyond Nacogdoches, encompassing all of modern-day Texas and a good portion of New Mexico. The Fredonians then proceeded to hold themselves up in a two-story building known as the Stone House and began to make fortifications for an inevitable fight. In response to this declaration, Mexico was finally forced to begin rallying troops to put down the rebellion. Hoping for a peaceful resolution, Stephen Austin attempted to make overtures to Hayden Edwards, but to no avail and he eventually began to marshal his own volunteers to help fight against the Fredonians, eventually mustering some 250 militia who augmented the 110 infantry sent from San Antonio by the Mexican government. Outnumbered in the extreme, because the Edwards only had about 20 or so men to fight for them, The Fredonians began to make appeals to other impresario colonies and even to the United States. But alas, no help came, not even from the Cherokee, who reneged on their agreement when presented with the possibility of a permanent settlement by the Mexican government. For about a month or so, the men of the Stone House were able to fight off some local attempts to drive them out of Nacogdoches, but were eventually captured on February 1st, 1827, a week before the Mexican and Austin forces arrived, and offered amnesty to most of the rebels. By that time, however, Hayden and Benjamin Edwards, along with several other leaders of the rebellion, had fled across the Sabine River into Louisiana. Ironically, Hayden Edwards would return to Nacogdoches some years later, and would die there in 1849. Benjamin Edwards moved back to Mississippi, where he and his brother once owned a plantation together, and eventually ran for governor of that state, but died mid-campaign. As for the Cherokee, the tribes executed the chiefs, who had originally made the agreement, with Hayden Edwards. Rather than put an end to the matter, the Fredonian Rebellion only served to exacerbate tensions between Mexicans and Anglo-American immigrants in the region, and most of northern Mexico in general. The town of Nacogdoches was, for a time, placed under a restrictive curfew, and the residents were closely monitored, even though the rebellion had only involved a few dozen men. In 1828, the Mexican government sent a military delegation headed by General Manuel de Mier y Terán to East Texas to observe and report on the situation there. And, further alarmed as a result of his reporting and offers by the United States to purchase the Texas territories, uh, the Mexican Congress passed a law in 1830 which prevented immigration by Americans into borderlands on the Mexican-American border. Their fears would soon be realized as Texas would stage its own revolutionary rebellion, securing its independence from Mexico in 1836. Perhaps the most telling comment of this whole affair comes from a letter by General Terran to the Mexican Secretary of Foreign Relations as part of his observations of the people of Nacogdoches in the wake of the Fredonian Rebellion. Quote, foreigners from every nation have this frontier of our federation open to them to enter without fulfilling the requirements of the law, This country is the asylum for fugitives from the neighboring republic. Foreign agriculturalists settle where it suits them, and they take over whatever land they desire without the alcaldes' approval and in defiance of the laws of colonization and the rights of prior ownership. The colonists complain that they are deprived of the right of suffrage granted them by the law when the period of settlement has elapsed. The population of Nacogdoches is growing at an extraordinary rate because of the continual entry of North Americans, they set themselves up full of suspicion because of the illegality of their settlement, but they rely on their numbers so that eventually they might be recognized as owners of the land they occupy, end quote. So it seems then that in Tehran's assessment, when America was sending its people into Mexico, they weren't sending their best. This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find links to further reading suggestions related to this week's episode, as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at HistoryFootnote. Until next time, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes.